0: Today, we have a very special guest joining us, Ryan Blazer, the founder of Test My Home. Ryan is a building biologist with over 25 years of experience as an electrical engineer specializing in environmental health hazards. He is incredibly passionate about dedicating his time to helping others protect and reclaim their health by identifying and eliminating the toxic dangers from their home and life. Welcome, Ryan.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, we're so excited. You are such an incredible wealth of knowledge. I have personally learned so much from your Instagram page alone, all the highlights that you save, the video demonstrations, all of it. And I'm so excited about our conversation. Thank you so much for spending this time with us.
1: Sure, you bet. I'm excited too.
0: So before we dive into q and I'm so interested to know... You are so generous with how much information you share with others, and you have this genuine passion for making sure that we not only learn about toxicity in our environment, but most importantly, you help us feel empowered that we can protect ourselves and create a healthy home. So, can you share a little bit about your story and what inspired this passion for helping others?
1: Sure, you bet. So, about 20 years ago, after I got my degree in electronics engineering, I was working, doing recording studios, broadcast centers, high-end churches, nightclubs. We were specializing in creating environments for people to have fun, to experience their senses, to grow. But I was not paying attention to my health as well. And so towards the end of my 20s, I was really overweight. I was about 360 pounds. I was on anxiety medicine, ADHD medicine, heartburn medicine, wasn't feeling well. And I thought, there's got to be more to this. I'm doing all the right things, I thought. And one of the things that I noticed when I was working in in environments in the recording studio industry is that it's a really clean electrical and I felt a lot better. By the end of the day, working in those environments, I go home and I had energy. I felt good. So I started looking into it a little bit more. You know, if our environment can affect us positively, how also can it affect us negatively? And so I started to research. I quit what I was doing and I started taking some other jobs just to learn. I worked for Department of Environmental Quality in their air quality division. I worked for the Department of Energy in their nuclear and chemical division. I got a job as a mold remediator. And I kind of went through these different career paths, learning as much as I could about how the environment affects our health. I was able to, by changing my environment and lifestyle, some diet, nutrition, uh, I was able to lose all the weight. I was able to get off all the medication and live a much healthier life just in general. So I went back to school, got certified in building biology, and we started this company up three years ago, kind of just on the basis that it was so amazing to me of how much I did not know about the environment and how much I'd learned over the course of, of my years working in these different fields about how much the environment actually helps and affects our body. So I wanted to teach other people about it and and help them along the same path that I went on.
0: Wow. That's incredible. You are so, so helpful. And I know that so many people tell me that they're doing everything right, but something is still off. And that's why the environment is so crucial. I mean, especially now when we're inside our home so much, it's so important that you take a look at your environment. That's correct. Every time that I test, and by the way, me walking around with my meters was totally inspired by you, but thank you for that. But every time that I test our home, I notice that if I'm not on top of it, airing out the home every day, our CO2 levels are always so incredibly high. Is this something that is common, especially with new builds?
1: Yes, it's actually very common because a lot of times people in these new builds, their homes are so airtight. The only time they're getting fresh air in and out of their home is when they open the doors to walk in and out. The rest of the time, the home is sealed up so tight. Unless you have a fresh air intake or a fresh air ventilation system and HRV, you're not getting the the CO2 levels to go down in your home. And CO2 is also just an an indicator, but there's a lot of other toxic chemicals that are involved with breathing out. So when when we detox, we detox through sweating. We also detox through breathing out. So we're breathing out more than just CO2. We're breathing out a lot of the toxic things that are in our body. And so if if we're not expelling that out of the house, if we're not getting fresh air, and that's just building up and we're we're breathing our our own air back in, it would be like going to the gym and working out and then not taking a shower afterwards. We're just going to absorb that stuff back into our body. So it's really, really important to get fresh air into your home.
0: Okay. So do CO2 levels affect our health?
1: They do. So outside to throw some numbers at it, outside levels are about four hundred parts per million. Anywhere up to about six hundred parts per million is considered the healthy range. Once we start getting up around a thousand parts per million, that's when we can start seeing fatigue, headaches, just general not feeling well. Now I would say at least fifty percent of the homes that I measure have levels above a thousand. And okay. it's typically the homes that are newer homes that don't have any fresh air ventilation system or people that just don't take the time to ventilate their house and open windows and doors.
0: Right. Yeah, our house usually hangs out between like 1000 to 2000 if I'm not actively opening up the windows every day or opening up the door, you know, especially recently we had the fires, so and I'm in Arizona, so we didn't open up the windows, but yeah, it was amazing to realize that. So how do we fix the high CO2 levels in the home just open windows, doors once a day?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. So any other time besides fire season or the dust storms coming through, or you live if you live outside of a factory or something, as long as you don't have one of those things going on, simply opening up the doors and windows goes a long ways. Now, if it's the middle of summer in Phoenix, or if you're in the middle of winter in Idaho, you're going to have a temperature issue there. And so even us in the middle of winter here, we'll take time twice a day to open up some doors and windows for at least 15 minutes and, and get the stale air out and bring the fresh air in. Now, with fire season, it can be a little bit more challenging. So what we do is we have a window that we've kind of set up where we have a box fan that we've made that we've put an air filter on. And so we'll pull air into the house through the box fan and filter out the smoke.
0: And I saved in my highlights. I saved your awesome video that you shared for a DIY air purifier. That was awesome. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you bet. Not not everybody has six hundred or a thousand bucks to go spend right. filters, so it's just an easier. And it's actually pretty effective. We have several of those throughout our, our house, along with some more expensive ones, and we have some commercial type ones. I have a buddy that has a mold remediation company, and he borrowed. I borrowed one of his industrial air scrubbers for the fire season here. And that really cleans the home out good.
0: That's awesome. And there are so many air purifiers available. Do you have a favorite or one that you've tested and it works pretty well?
1: They're all really kind of doing the same thing. It's a fan that's moving air through a filter. Okay. That's that's really all it is. And if you think about it like that, they're all kind of doing the same thing. Air Doctors is a good one. That's a pretty common one. They have good referral programs, so you, you see a lot of those on Instagram and stuff. We use IQ Air; it has a pretty good rating on it. But even you know the little box stand with the tape on the back that goes a long ways too.
0: Okay, so I received a lot of questions about mold. How can we test for mold accurately?
1: So just yourself. Really, the best way is to go through visually and look through your home. Look underneath all the sinks. Look around the showers, the bathtubs, the toilet. If you see anything that doesn't look right, if you see any kind of water stain or water damage or any kind of growth, or if you see the baseboards are expanding out and swelling a little bit or under the sinks. I was doing an inspection on a home. They thought their home was perfect. Everything was great. I go through and we're looking underneath the kitchen sink and they had a ton of stuff underneath there. So we start pulling it out. As we start getting towards the back, Everything starts getting wet and sticky, and they had a small leak back behind there that they had no idea, and the whole back of their sink underneath was covered in mold. Oh, and wow. you couldn't see it because they had so much stuff stuffed underneath there that they never got to the back and never saw it. So just doing a really good visual inspection goes a long ways.
0: had some people tell me they've tested for mold, you know, had somebody come in and test for mold, but every time they go to take a shower, they feel the mold toxicity symptoms. So is there a test that they can maybe do to check the air or anything that you recommend?
1: So a real common one that people do is the ERMI test. I'm sure you've heard of that where you collect some dust or you collect part of the air filter and you send it in and they analyze and they kind of tell you what's in the dust. Now, That is kind of like going into the doctor and getting your temperature taken. It kind of tells you, is there a problem? Is there not a problem? It's going to kick you back a score. But it's not going to really tell you where the problem is. So there's air samples that typically a mold inspector will do. So if we were coming into the home, we would do air samples because that's going to test what's actually in the air that we're breathing right now. And then we're going to collect some dust and do dust samples. That's going to tell us what has been in the air. That settled down into the dust. We're gonna take some carpet samples. We're gonna take some samples of the HVAC. We're gonna do surface samples. And all of those, in combination with a good visual, a moisture intrusion, and then a uh, thermal imaging scan, we kind of put all that data together and that kind of gives us the big picture. But for people just at home, just wanna do it yourself type the Mm -hmm. ERMI and a really good visual. And then also after it rains. So that's a really good time to go around looking for leaks is after a really good rainstorm, crawl up in your attic and take a look and see if there's water dripping anywhere or feel along your walls. See if there's any kind of bubbling or any any moisture going on. And if you have a crawl space, really good idea to crawl down there at least twice, maybe three times a year. You can get a little suit from Home Depot. Crawl down there with a flashlight and really inspect. And if anything looks out of the ordinary, any kind of growth, any kind of fuzzy looking stuff, that's definitely something you want to look into a little bit more.
0: Can you ever truly get mold to go away completely or will it continue to grow back?
1: So there's always going to be mold spores floating around in the environment. And whether those mold spores take hold on something and grow or just kind of continue to float around, that's kind of the difference between whether we get a problem or not. Now, mold requires three things to grow. You need to have water. You need to have a food source, which can be any kind of organic material. It can be paper. It can be leaves, grass dead skin cells, and then you need to have the mold spore. So if you have those three things, you're going to have mold that's going to start growing. Now, one thing that we can control is moisture. And that's usually the best thing that you can do to keep mold away from your home is to keep your home dry.
0: Awesome. Do you have any tips on how to do that? Things that we could do at home to kind of prevent?
1: Yes. Every time you take a shower, make sure you're venting that out every single time. If you have a window in there, it's even better to crack the window or open the window up. If you take a nice shower and then you get out and you look and you see water dripping down your walls, that's a bad sign. That means you're not getting all the moisture out of your room, out of the bathroom. Same thing with boiling water. If you're doing a lot of cooking, boiling, making sure that you're using the vent to vent that outside. And then depending on what kind of climate you live in, if you live in a humid climate, making sure you're using the air conditioner, checking the drain line from your HVAC, make sure that's not plugged, that it's draining to the outside. And then just checking for leaks. And then outside the house too, make sure that the slope is sloping away from the home. We see a lot of issues when the slope of the the dirt goes into the house and your sprinklers kick on or you have a good rain and then it puddles up against the house that can seep down and then go into the house and create some moisture issues.
0: Using vents after showering or taking a bath, how long should we have that vent running?
1: You know, a good 15, 20 minutes after you take a shower. Yep.
0: That's good. That's pretty easy. Um, So are there any toxic free mold cleaners that you recommend? Perhaps a cleaner that we can use on drains and areas that are vulnerable for mold growth to try and stay ahead of it?
1: So when it comes to cleaning mold, our goal is to kind of get rid of the mold. We want to wipe it up and clean it and get rid of it. So really any of your healthy cleaners that you would just clean normal surfaces with is going to go a long ways. Now, bleach is one of those misconceptions. You don't want to use bleach on mold. Mold is kind of smart. If it knows it's under attack, it's going to release all of its mycotoxins and its mold spores. It's kind of a latch ditch effort to try to survive. So, if you spray it with bleach, it's not going to kill it right away and it's going to know it's under attack. Well, so the best thing is just to soap and water and a, and a scrub brush or a sponge and just a little elbow grease and remove it.
0: So, the majority of the questions sent in were overwhelmingly asking about EMFs. <laughs> and e- <laughs> I know that EMFs have been a big concern for a long time, but I feel like So many are more aware and concerned about them now because so many are unfortunately experiencing symptoms of EMF sensitivity now, especially with all of the towers going up everywhere. There's smart devices for everything. You know, we're so glued to our electronics, increasing heavy metals in our bodies. It's just a lot for us. So before we get into the EMF questions, can you first explain what EMF even means? What is it? What are they? Why should we be mindful of them?
1: Sure. So EMF stands for electromagnetic fields. And the E of the EMF is kind of think of that as all of the electricity in your house. So that's the wiring that's going through your walls. That's the wiring that powers the lights, the light switches. When you plug in your laptop or charge your phone or you plug in your toaster, anything that's running off of electricity produces an electric field. Now, that electric field pulsates, positive, negative, 60 times a second kind of vibrates. And that electric field can cause all kinds of unnatural currents through our body, a whole range of health issues. So that's the E of the EMF. Now, the M of the EMF is the magnetic field. So think about a magnet or the magnetic field of the Earth. We have north and south poles. Now, when it comes to electricity, the magnetic field is alternating, just like the electric field. And so Mm -hmm. it's given us this push-pull action. And that can have some physical interaction with our body the iron in our blood, the heavy metals in our blood, it can cause those to vibrate and -hmm. cause a whole range of issues. And so the magnetic fields can come from your high voltage power lines, it can come from fans, motors, your HVAC. When your dryer is on, that's producing a magnetic field. Or if you have wiring errors in your home, that can produce magnetic fields. Now, Mm -hmm. the third part, the fields that there's kind of a combination of electric and magnetic it's the high frequency the radio devices so anything that's transmitting data over the air like Mm -hmm. your cell phone or your bluetooth speakers or your headsets any of these type of devices are sending high energy high frequency energy waves through the air and that can affect our brain it can affect our nervous system it can affect our heart because our body has its own natural electrical impulses that it used to control through the nervous system. And when we overlay it with these artificial frequencies, our bodies have to work that much harder to try to overcome these signals. So those are the three main types. Now you will hear about dirty electricity. That's kind of just a component of the electric field. It just means the electric field has spikes on it out of phase and it's not a smooth sine wave, but it's really, it's just a component of the electric field. So that's kind of the three main parts to EMF and what they are.
0: And I quickly want to share some common symptoms of EMF sensitivity can include insomnia, headaches, anxiety and depression, fatigue, muscle and joint pain, nosebleeds, cold and flu-like symptoms, rashes, brain fog, dizziness, heart palpitations, feeling faint, nausea, diarrhea, Numbness and tingling, neurological symptoms, flushing, issues with your thyroid, it completely dysregulates us. And I'm sadly seeing a huge increase in these symptoms being reported. Now, are there some EMFs that aren't as harmful versus others that are more harmful?
1: So, the one that I usually see the worst that I don't like that scares me the most is with the cancers and the tumors as they Mm -hmm. relate to magnetic fields. I can't tell you how many times I go into a home where they see this particular daughter, she has this rare blood cancer, what's going on tests, and we go in and it turned out she's sleeping right at the same wall where the main electrical panel is coming in and it's super high magnetic fields. And so oh, magnetic wow. fields don't get blocked very easily. And so they go through, they can go through the earth, they can go through our bodies, walls. And that's the physical interaction with the iron in our blood So it will physically cause our body to vibrate. And so right. magnetic wow. fields are some of the strongest, some of the most dangerous, they're associated with the cancer's. But the radio frequency, that's going to be more of your neurological stuff. That's going to be more of your ADHD, your Alzheimer's, your brain fog, your headaches, your anxiety, depression, those type of things. Because it's messing with the signals in the brain. Because our brain has its own signals that's sending around. And then we send the radio frequencies through. And they're going to mess up with that. And then the electric field is going to be more of the the fatigue, the feeling wore down, just not up to par. like You just don't feel the best. You don't sleep very good. You can have heart palpitations, things like that. That's going to be more of the electric because it's messing with the electrical impulse of our heart. Our heart has a little electrical signal that tells the heart to beat and it can mess up with that.
0: Wow. And that just right there shows how crucial it is to look into our environment and what might be contributing to the symptoms that we are experiencing. So what can we do to lower our EMF exposure daily?
1: the first thing you can do is recognize what it is and just be aware of it and cautious of it. Right. Uh, And once you know where it's at and where it's coming from, then you can kind of use some practical avoidance type stuff. So for example, the biggest exposure we get by far is from our cell phone. And the reason is because we always have our cell phone on us Mm -hmm. 24-7. It's usually right next to our body. And that cell phone has to transmit all the way back to the tower. So we we think of all the cell tower. It's dangerous. We don't realize the cell phone has the potential to have as much power sending back to the tower because it's a two-way communication. So if you're out in the boonies, if you only have one or two bars, your cell phone is at max power trying to talk back to the cell tower. So the way you can help reduce exposure with your cell phone is if you're not using it, if you're sitting at a desk, maybe instead of having it in your lap or right next to you, maybe have it at arm's reach, three or four feet away from you on the desk. Or at nighttime, if you don't need to answer calls during the night, make sure you have your phone on airplane mode or at least across the room if you need to answer phone calls. So, And then hardwiring your devices is another big one. At our house, everything's hardwired. We don't have any Wi-Fi at all. Everything's connected through the wires, kind of like we did 20 years ago. Right. And then we don't have the the Wi-Fi and we don't use Bluetooth. We use cords for our headsets. They're all wired. That's kind of the biggest thing is just making sure that you're kind of going back in time a little bit and we're getting away from all these wireless devices. And then other common sense things like if you're using your microwave, don't stand right next to it. And sometimes these things should be obvious, but it's crazy how many people still do stuff like that.
0: I know even my kids like to if we use the microwave, we try not to use it very often, but if we do, they tend to want to look inside the window to watch I don't know the little things yeah. spin around. So it's like, "No, step away." Yeah. So, for those who Let's say that they have like a home alarm that's hooked up to their Wi-Fi. So hardwiring that as well.
1: Yeah. That's one of those things where there's really no easy fix. You kind of just have to hardwire it. Okay. Yeah. And the backup, one thing that we do at our house and a lot of my clients do, we get a lot of good results is turning off the circuits to the majority of your house in the sleeping area at night when you're sleeping. And so we spend a third of our, our life sleeping in bed. And so that's one time that we don't need electricity. We don't need all this technology. We're sleeping, we're resting, we're healing. That's when our body really needs its rest to repair and get ready for the next day. Mm -hmm. And so before bed, we'll turn off the circuits to our sleeping area. And we turn it off to the living room below us because we got wiring that runs in the wall there. We leave on the fridge, we leave on the HVAC, whatever else other rooms you might need on, but turn off all the circuits to the sleeping area. And I challenge people just to try that for a week. And I guarantee you're going to feel a big difference. A lot of people, they say, I remember my dreams now. I have these vivid dreams. I wake up feeling rested. The inflammation has gone away. And it's simply because we're taking the electric fields away. We're taking a lot of the magnetic fields from the current running through the wiring. We're turning that all off. It's almost like you're sleeping, like you're camping.
0: Right. And giving your body a break.
1: Giving your body a break. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I remember you sharing a demonstration video that showed how the phone's electric current is so much stronger while it's charging. Yes. Is that the same when you're charging your laptops too?
1: Yes. Yep. And that's the electric field that's traveling through the line that's charging your laptop that's coming from the power grid.
0: Okay. So stay away from your electronic devices while they're charging, especially.
1: Yes. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Awesome. So tell us about grounding mats. Do they work?
1: So grounding mats is is an interesting topic because there's a lot of misinformation about grounding mats. So grounding outside, like going to the beach or going up to the lake, putting your feet in the water, walking on grass, that's so good for your body. But it can also work against you because when you are grounding yourself to earth, you're also making yourself like a lightning rod. So if you're going to ground, you have to do it away from electronics or electricity. You can't ground inside your house unless you turn the circuits off. Because just like there's a lightning rod on top of the church and the lightning strikes and hits the ground rod because that's the path back to ground. All these charged electrons that are in the wiring of our home are trying to find a path back to ground. So if you ground yourself, now you're creating a path for all of those charged electrons to travel through your body and create the unnatural currents and all kinds of problems in your body. So that's kind of one thing that's a big misconception. A lot of people use these grounding mats improperly. I see them at their office, for example, and they're grounding, but then they have all these electronics around them. They have their computers, their laptops, their phones, all these devices plugged in, their cell phones charging, and they are grounded. Now they are the path for all these electrons to get back to earth. Now, the second problem with grounding mats is a lot of people don't ground them to earth, they ground them to the little plug that's inside their electrical system in their house. Right. Mm-hmm. And I haven't tested one yet that has pure clean ground, they always have line interference, they always have dirty electricity on it. there's also, also voltage spikes, and that ground fluctuates. So when you are plugging into your electrical system ground, now you're basically tied in with the power grid, And any of those spikes and any of those line interference is now going onto your body as well. So when you ground, you have to ground to an outside source and you need to ground at least 20 to 40 feet away from your electrical ground. So you need to know where your electrical ground is at and then go quite a bit of ways away from that and put your own stake in the ground and run a line in. And then again, if you're doing that inside your home, circuits have to be off to that room.
0: Wow. So get outside.
1: <laughs> get outside, <laughs> and yeah. Ground naturally. It's a lot easier. Just go outside and ground. Yeah. I did have yes. a client that we are doing that for her house, and we have to go to great lengths. When she goes in, there's a button she can turn off. It kills the power. She has a, a grounding blanket on her bed that's out to outside, round down by the creek, and everything's good. But it took a lot of time and effort and testing to get it right to where she wasn't making herself a ground rod.
0: Right. And what about artificial grass? Can you still ground standing on that?
1: You can somewhat, a little bit. We've done some testing with it, and it's definitely better than wood or standing on shoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just depends. If it's wet, it's going to conduct a lot more. It depends on how thick it is. It depends on what's underneath it. Uh, There's a lot of different things, but the closer you're getting to earth, the better off you're going to be.
0: Okay. So, what if your home has a smart meter? How can you protect yourself from the EMFs that they emit?
1: Well, a smart meters are actually really easy. They you can get online and Google smart meter covers,
0: uh-huh. and they make
1: a little cover you can put on it that takes away a good majority of the, the signal coming from it.
0: Oh, awesome! That's good to know because we have a smart meter right near, like on the other side of my daughter's room. So, like,
1: yeah, how do so we protect
0: that's
1: her. A, that's a situation where you definitely want to put a. A cover on it and shield that out. And it's funny, sometimes people call me up and they're so worried about their smart meter that actually only pings out maybe every 45 seconds, sometimes a minute and a half. That's uh-huh. a pretty good ping. But by the time we measure inside the house, it's not very high, especially compared to say their cell phone or a microwave or the, the Wi-Fi router, which is constantly going all the time. But yeah, uh-huh. in your case, and most people's case, just put a smart meter cover on it. Just mm-hmm. Google it. And it's super easy, like 45 bucks. It'll take you five minutes.
0: Okay. And is there a certain brand that you trust?
1: No, it's really Inium. Less okay. EMF has one, there's a couple others that make them. Yeah, they're all pretty pretty close to the same. As long as it's a metal sheet, a metal mesh covering okay. that connects to it good. You just kind of want to make sure it's all covered.
0: Okay. How far away should our beds be away from Wi-Fi routers? I mean, we should turn them off at night, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, think about it like a fire... When you're right next to it, you're going to get burned. When you're 20 feet away, you're still feeling the heat. When you're 100 yards away, you can still see the light. It's affecting Mm -hmm. you. So the further you get away from it, the better off you are. Almost every time when it's really close within 10 feet, we're seeing health issues, sleeping issues, brain fog. But we see the best effects when it's turned off completely. So it's just a matter of how far you want to go with it.
0: Can you share with us some of the common everyday devices that emit the highest EMFs? I was really surprised by some of these that you've shared before.
1: Yeah. So like I said, the cell phone is number one. Number two is going to be the Wi-Fi router. Everyone has one. It's always on. Number three is going to be your wireless speaker systems, particularly Sonos. So if you have a Sonos system in your house, those things are very powerful. They radiate through the house pretty strong. Mm -hmm. And then wireless printers That's another big one that's pretty powerful a lot of people don't think about. So if you're not using your printer every day or regularly, just unplug it when you're not Mm -hmm. using it and then plug it in to use it. Laptops and iPads are probably next in line. Mm -hmm. Those things are a lot of exposure, especially when you're right next to them using them, which we usually are. And then you're going to have your AirPods and all your other little wireless communication devices. And then outside of that, you're getting stuff from outside exposure, which would be cell towers your neighbors, Wi-Fi, things like that. And then very last, very far down on the list is going to be like the satellites and AM FM radio stations and CB radio stations. Those are all really, really minimal though, compared to the other stuff.
0: Okay. And what about baby monitor sound machines? I was really surprised when I was testing our baby monitor. emits so like such high levels of EMFs. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, I left that one out. I forgot. Baby monitors. That's a scary one, too, because it's always right next to the baby's head. I always can't see those things. And You know, you've tested. You know how high those levels are. It's scary. Yeah, Yeah. they make wired wired ones that you can use that I recommend. And then you brought up another one, the sound machines. So there's a sound machine that they make that you can kind of twist the top, and it changes the sound, and it's an actual fan. (laughs) <laughs> those things emit a magnetic field that is horrendous. It goes almost 12 feet in all directions through walls, through everything. Wow. I've seen, I've seen some serious issues with those where I've gotten tests and, tested, like, this son, he pees the bed, he doesn't listen, he wakes up, this and that. And I go in there and he's got one of these sound machines right next to his head that's emitting wow. levels that would be similar to if you lived underneath one of those high voltage power lines. So, if you have one of those devices, that's something you need to get rid of right away. They make sound machines that run off a speaker. And those are fine. It's just the sound machines that use an actual fan to create the noise.
0: So where our Wi-Fi router is located, it shares a wall with my daughter's room. And she is our worst sleeper by far. So something in my gut was telling me that it's not that she's having a hard time sleeping through the night. It's not... Anything that we're not doing as far as, you know, a good nighttime routine or soothing her, et cetera, something in my gut was telling me that her sleep environment wasn't optimal. So I took my meter, we moved into the new home, and I started noticing that she wasn't sleeping through the night. I checked out her room and it was so high. It was blinking extreme almost everywhere in her room. And I was also blown away how high the levels were, especially the area that was right near the wall that backed up to the Wi-Fi router. And so I implemented different tools to lower the EMFs in our home in that area. I tried out the protective shield sheets that you can kind of put up, you can put them behind picture frames to make it easier and kind of hide them. I put those up, I put the sheets around our baby monitor camera. So I just incorporated some of those tools to lower the EMFs that were emitting into her room And she finally started sleeping through the night and it breaks my heart. How many times are we assuming that our children are having a hard time self-soothing or we get frustrated that they're not sleeping through the night when they're actually just reacting to their environment, like EMFs? How many times do we put the baby monitors right up next to their crib so that we can see them, but at the same time, it's causing hyperactivity in their system?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll share a quick story as well from something that really hit at home to me to realize how serious of an issue we're dealing with. When I first started getting into building biology in this business, we weren't fully EMF-free at our house. Now I tried to avoid as much as I could. But my oldest daughter, she was about eight years old at the time. We were having some major issues with her, with her not listening and not paying attention. We'd ask her to do something. She'd look spacey. She wasn't sleeping very good. We thought she had ADHD. We were about to go put her on Ritalin. I mean, we were mm-hmm. fighting a lot with her. It was it was horrible, and we didn't know what the heck to do. And when we when I started implementing these EMF changes, one thing that clicked all of a sudden is like the router. My office was right underneath her bed, and we had the router up on the shelf. It was literally probably two feet from her head where she was sleeping. Oh wow! And so I took it. We took it out. We hardwired everything. Within like three days, she was a new person. Wow. And. I could not believe, it. and it changed our lives. It changed her lives. And I realized how serious of a problem this is. How many people are dealing with this situation, the exact situation, have no idea what it is, and they're, they're stressed out, they're fighting, they're putting their kids on medication. There's so many issues that are happening simply because they have a Wi-Fi that's too close to their head. Right. I mean, it's that simple, but yet it's that serious. And it just blows me away when I see this stuff. And then when we go into the homes and we test and we make these changes and we see the improvements, it's such, it's so good to see people implementing these changes. But, you know, and that's why I'm glad doing this podcast to get this word out there because there's so many things that people can do right now today that doesn't cost any money that could change your life.
0: Right. Absolutely. Okay. I got a lot of questions about cell towers. Towers are going up everywhere and are unfortunately hard to avoid now many are experiencing sudden health issues due to severe EMF sensitivities. So how do we protect ourselves from the EMFs that come from the towers, the smart meters, from sources that we can't just turn off? I feel like we're kind of, in a way, just baking in radiation now.
1: So when we're sleeping, that's really easy. You can buy these bed canopies that will completely shield you from radio frequency, which work really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also step that out a little bit more and you can do shielding in your house. You can do paint on the walls, which will reflect the radio frequency back away. You can put window tint on the windows. There's fabric you can install. Now, the thing is with those is if you're doing that type of shielding for your house and blocking the radio frequency from coming in, you gotta be really careful with radio frequency sources inside your home because it's gonna act more like a microwave. If if you went to the trouble of shielding your room and putting all this blocking up, And then you sit in your room with your cell phone, that signal is trying to get out of the room. And it's just sitting there bouncing around off of all the all of the shielding you just put up. And the cell phone's boosting its power up max power because it thinks it's really far away from the tower. So if you are going to do shielding, you have to you have to use a landline, you got to get rid of your Wi Fi. So shielding is really kind of the last case scenario for people that are really serious about this. Because if you do the shielding and you're still using your devices, you're going to make it 10 times worse.
0: Okay. So first focus on the Wi-Fi, the cell phone exposure, all of that first, and then maybe that'll kind of empty the bucket.
1: Yeah. Start with what's the most, the biggest thing. And that's the things inside your home. Okay. Yeah. And that's a big misconception. A lot of times people will call me out and they they call because of their their smart meter or they call because of a cell tower that got put up two blocks away and we'll go do a measure. And the way I measure is, we'll turn everything off inside the house Mm -hmm. and then we'll go through and we'll take measurements. We'll say, okay, this is what your background levels are. This is the levels inside and outside your home that's coming from these external sources. And we'll write all those down and then we'll go through and we'll turn everything on in the house and we'll go through and we'll take the same readings again. I've yet to find a home that isn't like five to 10, sometimes a hundred times higher than the outside background. So wow. you want to start with your devices first because that's where your most exposure is coming from. So if you can get to the point where you've got rid of your Wi-Fi and you've hardwired and you're not using your cell phone as much, you're using a landline and you're not using any of these wireless devices anymore, then we can talk about shielding from the outside.
0: So I did a little test of my own and I took my EMF meter and I walked outside and I tested levels out there because keep in mind, we can visually see a cell tower right out our backyard. Thankfully, houses are being built to kind of cover that up for us, but it's there. So I tested the levels outside and then I walked inside of our home and I tested the levels inside of our home and it was mind blowing how much higher the levels were in our home. Everywhere I was walking around, it was either blinking high red extreme to some areas that were moderate, but still that's not a recommended level. And then I turned off the Wi-Fi router and walked around again and boom, everything was down to slight. And it just blew me away how much this one device can emit these powerful frequencies that affect us every single day.
1: Yep. It's like a little mini cell tower inside your home.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. You okay. Have, so you got to fix that first. Yeah. I was going to ask, what meter do you have?
0: It's the one, This is it Safe and Sound too? Okay, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, one that you recommended. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's a good one.
0: Okay. I have a list here of EMF blocking products that we would love to get your opinion on. If they actually work or if they even make things worse, like you were mentioning. So... First of all, the dirty electricity plug-ins, are those helpful?
1: Mm, uh, <laughs> so back when I was doing recording studios, there couldn't be any dirty electricity on the line. It had to be a pure sine wave because noise mm. and those types of things would get on the sound recordings. And you'd hear hissing in the background. Right. That's basically what we're trying to deal with in the home as well. Now, to fix it in that scenario is as the power came in on three different legs, you divide up and you send one leg to all of the recording devices and you send it through a really high quality filter, which costs anywhere from twenty dollars to $60,000. Jeez. And then it would filter it and provide clean power in. But in a home situation, to plug a $30 device into the wall and think it's going to fix it is, n- is not. It, right. They... They'll work a little bit, but the problem is, is it trades the dirty electricity for a little bit of a magnetic field. So oh, now yeah. we just traded one problem for another, and they're all just their little band-aids is all they are. Even the whole home filters that are a couple thousand, they'll block anywhere from twenty to thirty percent, from what I've seen when we install it, they'll reduce. But dirty electricity is kind of like the dirt on an elephant. So we have the elephant in the room. That's the electric field. That's what we mm-hmm. really do in the damage the dirty electricity is just the dirt on the elephant. So we can get rid of the dirty electricity, we can clean the elephant, but we're still going to have the elephant in the room. If we get rid of the elephant, the dirty electricity goes away with it. And so I try to focus more on how can we reduce our exposure to the electric field in general versus trying to clean up the electric field. Body is still going to see the electric field as a huge electrical disturbance. It's still going to cause a lot of damage and now, dirty electricity is, is more harmful than regular electricity, but if we can focus on getting away from the electric sources, not holding our phones when it's charging, not sleeping in a room that's energized, turning the circuits off at night, taking walks outside, getting away from these electronics that's going to go much, much, much further than trying to put a bandaid on on an elephant. Does that All make right. sense?
0: Yes, that's, yeah. that's amazing. I love your metaphor. It makes it so much easier to understand. Okay, so what about the EMF blocking stickers, the shielding blankets, the cages?
1: So the first one, the EMF blocking stickers, we did, I don't know if you saw it on our Instagram, we did a little story yeah. on that. And I actually took one of those apart. I took to a little razor blade. It looked like it had some circuitry, and I took it apart. And all it was was literally a sticker with a picture of some circuits.
0: Oh my um, gosh.
1: Though, most of those, i say all of those, are 100% scams. And I don't think that the people selling them maybe necessarily know that they're not. I don't know. I've never. <laughs> Those things don't work at all. They're stickers. They're little kid stickers. You'd be better off taping a piece of paper to your phone. They don't do anything wow, yeah. up to block EMF. And now, as far as shielding blankets, those are real. So any kind of material that conducts electricity, even tinfoil mm-hmm. or metal or aluminum or anything that's metal will reflect radio frequency. So when you have a shielding blanket, let's say you're pregnant and you have that blanket over your waist and you're holding your cell phone in front of you, the signals are bouncing off of that blanket away from your body. So shielding blankets work good. Just depends. You've got to make sure you use them properly. So if you have a shielding blanket on your lap, and you're looking directly down at your phone and the phone is between you and the blanket, the signal coming out of the back of the phone will hit the blanket and could bounce back up into your face. And so you could get double exposure. So you got to think of those shielding blankets and the shielding cages and any conductive material in general as a reflector. So think of the radio frequency device kind of like a light and think of those devices, the shielding blankets as a mirror. And so it's going to reflect that signal away from you just like a mirror would reflect light.
0: And when you were mentioning the, the stickers that you put on the phone, what about like the cases? I know that you said something before about how it can make it worse.
1: Yes. So going back to how cell phones work with the tower, they will vary their power output depending on how far away from the tower you are. And it does that to save battery power. So if you're right next to the tower, the cell phone tower, your cell phone doesn't have to work very hard and it's not sending out very much power versus if you're way out in the boonies, one bar, it's at max power. Now, what happens when we put these devices in any type of shielding products, mm-hmm. it causes the signal to diminish. And now the cell phone thinks it's a lot further away from the tower than it really is. And it boosts its power up to try to make up for that. Wow. And so Depending on where you're standing in relation to the cell phone tower, it could either help you or it could make it worse. So if you are holding the phone up to your ear and you have the shield closed in front of the phone, you're making a phone call and the cell tower is on the other side of the phone, then you're good because the cell signal is going directly to the cell tower. It's not going through the shield and it's facing away from your body. Now, if you turn your body the other way and you put your body and the shield between you and the cell tower, now you're going get- to the problem worse because the phone thinks, wow, I'm a lot further away from the cell tower. There's a shield in front of me. I got to boost my power all the way back up. And right. now your hand and your head and everything's getting exposed exponentially so much more. And so you would have to be conscious everywhere you go of what tower and where the tower is that you're connecting to. Otherwise, you're going to make the problem worse. Now, another side too is that if you're scrolling on Instagram or Facebook, that flap that closes in front of the screen is where the shield is. So a lot of people, they just flip that back around behind the phone and -hmm. they hold it in one hand. Now the shield is behind the phone. It's bouncing the signal back up at your face. So you're getting double the exposure. Wow! So people aren't using these properly and they're not conscious of where they're standing in relation to the tower. So because of that, I recommend people not to use those because they could potentially make the problem a lot worse.
0: Right. And then what about clothing? I know that they sell clothing that's supposed to protect.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of clothing. I think it works great. Again, it acts like a a shield or a reflector and will reflect away from you. Now, one thing, though, that can be a potential problem is the beanies or the hats Mm -hmm. because that acts like a little reflective antenna. And so it's on your head. And then you're looking oh, at your geez. cell phone, and the signals are going to go up. They're going to hit that hat, and they're going to reflect back down through your brain.
0: Wow. Okay. So you got to think about
1: how you got to think about how these signals are reacting with these different devices, how they're reflecting off of these different things, different shields and blocking devices.
0: So my family and I personally began to experience all kinds of symptoms last summer. Symptoms like headaches, fatigue, numbness, and tingling. Muscle pain. My kids had really bad, severe, restless legs. And then all three of my kids had nosebleeds within the same week, like within days of one another. And they had never had nosebleeds before. I had no idea what was causing it. But since it was all of us and around the same time, I assumed it was something environmental. And at that time, I wasn't really leaving the house due to the stay at home guidelines. But I finally left to run an errand and I was shocked to see five huge new towers, like the The ginormous ones with all the contraptions around it. I saw five of those within a mile of our home. So we tried one of the devices that doesn't claim to block EMFs, but it claims to emit a more healing frequency that the body apparently prefers instead. And we did notice that all of these symptoms improved within a good two or three weeks. So part of me feels like you're about to tell me that there's a placebo effect at play, which Hey, I'll gladly take if it means these symptoms going away. But the fact that my kids improved, even though they had no idea that I added this device, makes me feel like it could kind of be legit. What are your thoughts on these these devices that emit a healing frequency that the body prefers over EMF frequencies?
1: Well, the placebo effect has a huge effect. Our mind is very powerful. Right. A lot to that. So are you sure you want me to answer the question?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay, so I would kind of explain like if you're in a room and there's a whole bunch of yelling going on that would kind of simulate all the EMF that's going on around you. Mm-hmm. And I place a device in the corner that's playing some nice music. Mm-hmm. Is that going to make all the yelling go away? No, but will it, make you, will it make you feel better? Maybe, maybe that music in the corner playing is going to make you feel a little better. But you're still going to have all the yelling. You're still going to have all the noise going on. It can't make that stuff go away. So I don't know if that answers your question good enough there.
0: Yeah, so it's not like your body chooses that healing frequency. The noise is still there. Yep. Okay. Yeah,
1: the the noise is still there. It won't make the noise go away. And we can measure that with several different devices. The noise doesn't go. The EMF doesn't disappear. The EMF is still there. The harmful effects are still there. Now, and it
0: won't turn off our body's reaction. It's not like our body chooses one or the other.
1: If there was a specific special frequency that would make us immune to EMF, that would be amazing. I don't believe right. that there's such a thing. It <laughs> would be great if there was. Uh, I know some of these people claim it could potentially help. I know there's in the sound world, so when I used to do acoustics and the sound stuff, there are healing frequencies that you mm-hmm. can listen to that our body likes that are good for us. As far as how that translates into EMF, there's not enough studies that kind of show or correlate factuality there. My advice on some of that stuff, because then we get into some of these devices where we got these healing mats or... I did a client's house where we're testing EMF and they had this blanket that they put on. The son was autistic and lay on this blanket and it emitted these specific frequencies and they claimed that it helped their son really good. And so Mm -hmm. my answer to that is if it works for you, go for it. If it doesn't work for you, don't try to make it happen. Now, let me give you another example too. So some of these other devices, they claim that you plug them in and they create kind of a force field type effect around the house. it would kind of be like, me taking an air filter, which we know will purify the air, and me lighting up a cigarette in the room and saying, you know what, I'm good smoking the cigarette because I have the air purifier in the room. That was kind of how I would relate that one. And then there's a third type of product, which claims to absorb EMF, special types of rocks or organite, pendants, things like that that absorb EMF. So my analogy to that one would be That'd be like me taping a sponge to your back and telling you to go swimming and you're not going to get wet. <laughs> so the EMFs are around us all the time. We're immersed in the EMFs. You would have to have a full suit with some of these types of materials to really right. have a measurable effect. So, any of these devices, you can test them out yourself really easily. So, with the E part, the electric field, take any of these devices next to anything that's running off of electricity. And mm. if it negates the power of the electric field, the devices won't work anymore. So if you hold it up next to a light bulb, the light bulb, the electrons should no longer flow, the power, the force of it should be taken out and the light bulb's not going to work. Or if you hold it by your TV or your monitor, or your phone, the devices are going to quit working if that device will truly negate an electric field, the electric quality of the electrons, the force. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we have magnetic fields. That's the magnetic functionality of these devices. You can test that by simply taking a magnet right next to the device. If the magnetic strength changes, if, if it doesn't, the magnets don't work anymore, then it's negating the magnetic part of it. Oh. Now, the way to test the radio frequency is really easy. You got a microwave, cut a hot dog in half, put half in the microwave for a minute with the device completely out of the room, and then take that hot dog out and then bring the device, the sticker, the protector, the shield or whatever, and put it right next to the microwave put it on for the same minute, and then take those two pieces of hot dog out and compare them with each other. If it doesn't cook the hot dog with the device next to it, then it works because the damaging effects from radio frequency, which is how microwaves work, are physically interacting with that tissue of the hot dog, just like it would physically interact with our body. These are ways you can test to make sure that if it's negating all three of those different types of EMF, the electric, the magnetic, and the radio frequency, that's how you can test for yourself.
0: It's also hard to know if some of these devices even work unless you have a meter to double check. So thank you so much for sharing those tips and how we can check even if we don't have a meter.
1: Right. Because we, can, we can't see it, but we can see the effects of it. We can't see the electric fields, but we can see the light that it produces.
0: So for those who might feel overwhelmed with all of this amazing information and where to start, what are your top five tools or tips that you highly recommend that they focus on when creating a healthy home environment?
1: Probably the first thing is make sure you're getting fresh air into your house. I think that's probably the biggest thing I see as far as air quality goes mm-hmm. is just getting fresh air in. That's so, I see that so much. I go into homes and tests and there's Six people in there, the windows are all closed up and the CO two levels are extremely high and people are fatigued and headache, irritable. That's a big one right there. Probably the second thing would be powering off your devices if you're not using them. Talk about practical avoidance and so we can't go through the life completely away from EMF unless we want to live like the Amish. Mm-hmm. Which there might be something to that. <clears throat> but if we want to live in a modern lifestyle, we have to deal with EMF at some level. So If we're not using a device, turn it off. If that printer is sitting right on your desk that you sit by 10 hours a day, you only use that thing once a week, unplug it. If you have the cell phone right next to your bed at night, put the thing on airplane mode or better yet, charge it in another room so it's not even away from you. Turn your circuits off at night in your bedroom so that you give your body a rest from the electric fields. Take the time to hardwire your home. Just lowering your overall exposure, powering off devices, that's probably the next one. The third one, and maybe I don't have to tell your listeners this, but I still see it a lot, is don't bring toxic things into your home. Right. And if you don't know what it is on the ingredients or you have checked it out on EWG or the Think Dirty app, don't bring it into your house. If you wouldn't be willing to wipe it on your baby or eat it or rub it on your skin, don't bring it in your house. Right. It's that simple. And so there's so many toxic chemicals and things that I see in people's homes that are affecting their health. And a lot of times these chemicals get tested individually. So when a product is being tested and developed, they're testing it by itself. They're not testing it in combination with other chemicals. So an example, bleach by itself, pretty harmful, pretty toxic. Ammonia by itself has its own issues. But when you mix those two together, it makes chloramine gas and it can kill you. Pretty, wow. pretty quick. All you see under a fridge or in the laundry room or your pantry, all these chemicals stacked together, you just throw them all in one area. Beaches of what you're putting next to each other and try to store that stuff outside of your living space. Mm-hmm. Um, things like just using vinegar and water goes a long ways. There's a little lemon juice in there, some distilled water, maybe a little lemon essential oils. Another simple one, there's so many things that we walk around outside you know, go into public bathrooms, eat coli on the ground. And we walk in and we fill up our gas at the gas station. And there's oil and gas on the floor. And we walk through the park and there's pesticides and dog crap. And then we walk home and what do we do? We keep our shoes on and we walk right through our house, right right through the floor, right on the carpet. We kick our shoes up Mm -hmm. on the couch, right where the baby is crawling around. We don't think about all these nasty things that we're bringing into our environment. It's such a big deal. And people don't realize that just taking your shoes off at the door is going to go a long ways. And then, probably the last thing is keep your home clean. I can't stress that enough. A lot of these issues can be dealt with by making sure your home is clean. Just clean your home and take one room a month and do a deep clean on it where you take everything out of the room, you wipe from top to bottom, no dust anywhere, then you put things back. And maybe it's a good time to declutter some things as well. Just keep your home clean. Those are probably the top five things that you can do right now for free that are going to make the biggest impact on your health.
0: Amazing. Amazing and so helpful. And with that, we're coming to the end of our episode. So can you please share what services you provide and which locations you're currently serving?
1: Yeah. So we're currently in Idaho, Utah, and Arizona, and we are starting to branch into California and a little bit into Colorado. Now, one thing, we do travel, so if you get four or five people that want a home inspection or a home assessment, then we can send the team out there and we'll do a week's long worth of assessment people's homes, your friends or family. On our website, testmyhome.com, if you go to environments and click on home, it goes through the whole testing procedure that we do. We spend all day long in your home. There's two of us, extremely thorough. We test the water. We test all your chemicals. We do everything for you. And it's a great learning experience too. A lot of clients really enjoy following us along and asking questions, what does this level mean? What does this mean? And and we test everything in the home, all your EMFs, all your chemicals, all your lighting, your air quality, allergens, the mold, everything you could imagine that could cause illness in your home, we go through. And then we have our Instagram page, which is just at testmyhome, which we have a lot of really good educational stuff. We've done a lot of videos. We constantly try to post, new ideas, new tricks, new tips, things that you can implement today that are a lot cheaper, things that you can afford to do. And then we also also do phone consultations. And there's a lot of things that we can... Just an hour phone call with, with someone, we can really dive deep into your home and really look at the habits of how you interact with your home, how your home interacts with you, what health issues you're dealing with, how we can make improvements right away.
0: Amazing. The knowledge that you shared with us today is so incredibly valuable, especially during these times. Thank you so much. We so appreciate you taking this time to share with us and most importantly, empowering us with tools to help us create a healthy home environment. Thank you so much, Ryan.
1: Sure. You bet. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been great.